is episode 18 of the Now Is podcast. My name is Ben Remsen, and the idea of this podcast is to do a recorded version of the concept you might know from Downbeat Magazine's Blindfold Test and The Wire Magazine's Invisible Jukebox, to play tunes for musicians without telling them what they're about to hear and see what they have to say. What follows is the conversation that I had with Greg Ward on the afternoon of January 8th, 2017, in my now former living room in the Rogers Park neighborhood of Chicago. Greg is a Chicago-based improviser and composer who plays alto saxophone in many groups and ad hoc improvised contexts. You're currently hearing me talk over Daybreak by Greg Ward and Ten Tongues from Greg's 2016 album-length composition, Touch My Beloved's Thought. At the end of this interview, you'll hear the song Phonic Juggernaut from Greg's trio album by that name from 2011. To find out more about Greg's different projects, upcoming performances, and that sort of thing, check out gregwardmusic.us. You can find the Now Is podcast in the iTunes store. Perhaps you already have. 
You can also stream it at nowis.org, N-O-W-I-S.org, where you'll find information about all the tracks that I played for Greg. Feel free to also like the Now Is podcast on Facebook. Okay, Greg Ward. know this recording. Yeah. Yeah. Fred Anderson used to play this for me at the Velvet Lounge. That's what I heard from yeah. Thanks Dave Rempus for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We had this great relationship where he would just... You and Fred Anderson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would call me and be like, hey man, come by the club a little early, you know, like before the jam session I was playing yeah. on, on Wednesdays. And, and this uh, is what year? Huh. This is... This is late 2002, okay. you know, and placing it. Yeah, yeah, and he would, he would just, you know, I want you to hear this, you know, and he'd be like, this is this radio performance, you know, and he'd put this on and just like, okay, sit down, all right, yeah. sit me at the bar, and we'd just listen to this man, and just, at this point, I'd heard a lot of Charlie Parker, you know, but usually, you don't get to hear him stretch, you yeah. know, like, there's a lot of choruses on here, and that's, yeah. Because, you know, they were trying to make these records, everything's the same, three minutes, you know, yeah. or less. And so, to hear something like this, it blew my mind, especially the tempo, too, you know. Yeah. Bird played fast, but this is one of the, the fastest ones, like, he yeah. ever played. Just, it's just ferocious. Yeah. You know, man, it's, yeah. it's ferocious the whole way, just not... Ferocious because he's playing so, so, giving so much content so fast and so... Yeah, I guess just be, it's all that language that is... You know, specifically Charlie Parker, but just like it's like top form. You know, like yeah. here it is, and yeah. it's not. There's no searching about it. It's just like, boom. Yeah. Here's my language. Yeah. And to me, that's something special. Like it's a very unique thing. Like very few players can say like that you invented a language, and also like delivering that language so like confidently. You know, yeah. like to me, it's like, and it has everything about. Everything like in jazz that that I think everybody wants to experience it has all the rhythm and has you know all so many colors it's so expressive all the blues you know man it's uh, you know this is my hero yeah you know? yeah so that's uh, something special man yeah you know? could you um, I don't want to ask you to unpack all of the aspects of what the language is that he's delivering because that's people write books about that you yeah, know yeah. but like what is there a particular aspect. Um, of his language that you're hearing here that is especially appealing to you? Um, I mean, you know, like, I love bebop, you know, like bebop is, you know, I don't, I don't know, it's just like, this is, this is the source, you know, for me, this is the source of bebop and just the way he's playing, like, even at this tempo, you know, like, it's easy to, like, as you know, players today, just to, just to play, like, without any um, variation of just eighth notes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then, but but even at this tempo, it's just effortless, right? And there's so many different rhythms. He's a drummer, you know? And one of the baddest drummers, just, like, on the saxophone, you know? <laughs> you know, and that's, to me, that's super special. Like, it's something that I strive to have my playing the flexibility to to go anywhere at any time you know to be as aggressive and sweet and melodic and yeah. rhythmic 
all at the same time, you know, yeah. and it, and it's all here, you know, like, just like, no matter, you know, it's that it's 400 BPM. It's still, is that really what this is, maybe? I, I'm sure it's pretty close, you know. Yeah, okay. Sure, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's fast. Yeah. And just, just still, just to be, like, completely in control and know where you are and, you know, and just, just, uh, yeah, oh, man, it's so great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you listen to his, him trading fours with the drums, it's so exciting, man. It's yeah. just like, just like hearing the drummer. It's Max, you know? too. It's yeah, Max yeah. Roach, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is one of my favorite Charlie Parker recordings. Yeah. 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 I'd always ask Fred, Fred, play this. Play that, uh, you know. I don't want to I mean that uh, anthropology for yeah. you know and, man, yeah. and so he'd be like okay he'd have to find it in his stack because you know he loved birds so much yeah yeah he had a whole stack of his CDs yeah yeah you know I talked to him about other saxophonists he'd be like man I heard Charlie Parker you know like he, he heard saw, he saw yeah, Charlie he Parker, saw Charlie okay. Parker. Wow. you know so he's like all the other guys you know don't he's to him didn't yeah. add up to much like yeah. Yeah. the contri contribution wise that's it's like hearing Bird live. Hearing this live? Yeah. Imagine if I heard this live. Yeah, I can't imagine. What would that do to you? I don't know what it did for me when I first heard Charlie Parker. That's the yeah. thing, like, yeah. I had already started taking lessons from improvisation. I had yeah. a couple CDs, like, with... Of what? what of, the first uh, things you got into? Man, somebody gave me, my saxophone teacher, Larry Harms, gave me an Arturo Sandoval CD, which had, it's called I Remember Clifford. So he had, like, mm -hmm. uh, David Sanchez on there. Ekaye, and uh, maybe one other tenor player that I, I don't know right now, but but hearing David Sanchez, who's an amazing player, yeah, and Ekaye on that record sounds great. That sounded great. Um, but th that's what I had. And then my dad showed me Charlie Parker. Mm -hmm. This is like a couple months into taking lessons. You know, I was 11, and when I heard this, I was like. That's it. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. Right. You know, and I told, cool. I went in, and I was like, I'm doing this forever. You know, right then at 11, I knew from hearing there's something about this. Even though the other guys are playing great, there's yeah. something about this guy. Yeah. This kind of little fire under me. There's like, I have to do this. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. That's cool. that listening can do that. Yeah. 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 Like you listen to interviews with Charlie Parker. They're great. You know, he talks about. You know, like, he was very aware of his contribution and his, you know, the thing that he had created, you know, in, with his peers. And, but he also knew that people were going to take it further. People were going to do more yeah. with it, you know. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's encouraging. Not like, this is the end all. Mm -hmm. If you can't do this, it's like, no. He's like, this is in the moment. So, yeah. yeah, there's some later recordings that Fred showed me mm -hmm. that where you hear him changing, where you hear him, like, start to use this altissimo and start to like scream through mm -hmm. the horn like Whoa. almost like later what later train would be you know and just kind of I was like wow it made you know yeah. you think about what would it be what yeah. would he have been if he would have kept developing you know or yeah. do folks like that who develop such a an incredible thing they just they just go you know like they burn out and mm. you know die or something yeah you know, well that's like the model like, i mean that's yeah. the that's the charlie parker model and then the other one is like i don't know, I'm think of like the lewis armstrong model or something of like develop like an incredibly unique and powerful life-changing like individual voice and then just be like that's it yeah. anybody who's developing me on that is 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 a fraud you know right, right, right. i mean not i don't want to overstate the point but i mean you know develop oh, a sort yeah. of conservatism literally around musical development 
So, I mean, better to live longer, I guess, for your (laughs) friends and loved ones, I suppose. Uh... Whoa! (laughs) What makes you say whoa? Just, uh... Like, just a... It's like the music is almost pulling apart, you know? You mean like rhythmically or yeah, how's it? Well, just the way that the rhythm section is playing, like a very like down, almost just like letting the harmonic structure, oh, kind of drip. Like if you saw like a painter, like yeah, bang, you know, and then it would fall, you know. Yeah, yeah. While you yeah. have this very the, 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 the podcast audience can't see what you're yeah. doing. Yeah, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm Greg like is illustrating something with his hands. Yeah, <laughs> like if you threw paint on a wall and it started to drip down. Yeah. You know, slowly, you know. That's what the chords feel like, and so this very active saxophone playing. Well, I need to, I need to listen to it, see who this is. Yeah, yeah, we can listen for a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Man, who is this? Anthony Braxton. Ah, another one I haven't. Yeah. Well, he's got so much to check out. I mean, he's yeah, yeah. such a, yeah, so much content. Um, what year is this from? 72. 72. Okay. So it's... Uh, it's Donnelly, which you know, it's yeah, a, yeah. it's it's the Charlie Parker like, I mean, it's Charlie Parker tune. I mean, it's it's actually written by Miles, Miles Davis, but yeah, yeah. but I mean, it's like a, I, mean, I at least I associate it with being like with Charlie sure, Parker versions sure, of it. Yeah. So yeah, since we were just talking about all that about Charlie Parker, how do you hear Braxton here bringing um, the lang- the language of Charlie Parker and the language of bebop into his own personal idiom? It's like, I don't know. It's like a, it's like a, yeah, definitely somebody his personal Braxton's personal view of what bebop sounds like. Mm-hmm. But like definitely, you hear that it's it's coming from a different place. You know, mm-hmm. like it's not as rooted in uh, in blues mm-hmm. so much, or even even like bebop language. Like the roots aren't aren't like deep there. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's his own. He's coming from his own thing, man. Like yeah. What would be like, the roots you're saying it's not deep? Like blues, I would just like, yeah, they are like blues and bebop language. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like you hear colors of those. Like, like a, a, like a, you can hear it in there, but it's not like, oh yeah, he's coming from that. It's not like, you don't hear that. And then, uh, so yeah, definitely a different rhythmic thing from you know, the Charlie Parker recording you're listening to, you know, yeah. which is, which is, which is great. It's done very well. Yeah. Um, and then who's this on drums? You know, the rest of the band I actually don't know don't, anything okay. about. It's uh, Michael Smith piano, Peter Warren bass, and Oliver Johnson drums. Okay. So I, I literally, I tried to briefly to look up anything about, like, I have no idea who they are. Yeah. Um, they, I, I actually, to be honest, I didn't, I didn't know this this tune, this uh, Mike Reed recommended that I play this for you. I figured, okay. I wasn't sure if it was maybe because like you already knew it really well and had something to say about no, it. No, no, I just no. asked him for a recommendation. This was his idea, so I thought I'd play it after the Charlie Parker thing. Um, no, that's that's cool. You know, especially like Braxton has been another guy that because I I'm so aware of him. You know, in the in the music world as being a figure, com- <laughs> uh, composer, and just like very deep thinker in music and. And he's inspired so many of my friends and mm-hmm. peers, you know, that, you know, like, I'm like, man, one of these days I have to dig into what yeah. he's doing. But just to, 
Yeah, this is wild. This is great, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's, what else is great about it? What do you, what do you um, like about it on any level? Yeah, well, I like uh, I like the aggressiveness of it. Yeah. And that, uh, that even though, you know, it's very active, very frenetic, like I hear, I can still hear, I can still hear the melody. I can still hear, I can still hear what, yeah, you know, like even like little bits of the melody. Sure. You know, to me that's, you know, like there's a lot of folks who play this way, you know, mm -hmm. and where you can completely disconnect from the structure that you present. It almost becomes like, like the melodic thing that you presented at front or the, the tune doesn't even matter. You know, it's yeah. like you just wanted to play, you know. Right. And so something like this, you know, like I still, even though it's very abstract, very far away from yeah. where we started, I still feel a connection. You know? Yeah. And maybe that, you know, to me that, it's, uh, you know, you can hear the composer in him, you know, like still trying to give people a hint of like where we are, you know, every once in a while. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, like just the ability to go to completely, like at this moment here, to abandon, you know, the music. Yeah. It's hard to get people to play this aggressively, you know, yeah. like in, in, in some situations you know like some people like you know like feel like oh, I'm, I'm doing too much like but sometimes you that's where you find some yeah. some gold you know sure. like I'm, I'm a big fan of that like uh, when I practice I tend to do things that's how I learn how to control things I overdo mm -hmm. stuff and then I figure out oh well this didn't this didn't work because I was you know I was blowing too hard or or I was using this color too much so if I back it up mm -hmm. Then I can control it, you know. Or then it fits, you know. So, yeah, I like this. Or an ad, right? Yeah. What about his uh, tone or phrasing or whatever it makes you immediately know it's Ornette? Just He has kind of like an unmistakable tone, you know. Yes. Just like, even even though, like, I've, you know, I haven't listened to a, a ton of him, like, I think that's the best part about him, is like, striking. You hear a sound, it's yeah. it's like, oh, of course, that's coming out of Ornette. Or somebody like Ornette, you know, yeah, like yeah. somebody who heard a lot of Ornette. Yeah. But just, yeah, that blues, very, like, vocal-like. Mm -hmm. And then the, the, the oh. blues in the in the tone as well as in the in the pitch choices. Yeah, in the tone. You yeah. know, it's you know like the vibrato, the yeah, just like just the quality of it. It's vocal like it has that. Mm -hmm. It has the blues in it. You know, like a singer. So the thing I think that's interesting that happens here is um, Don Cherry comes in with actually this very kind of, I'm talking over it, 
this very kind of like happy, kind of spry, dancey kind of, or upbeat kind of melody, which is sort of a contrast to the Hornet, uh, more plaintive kind of like bluesy melody. But as Don comes in with that part, Charlie Hayden switches to this like really sinister, arco, you know, stormy kind of thing, which, I mean, I think is really cool. I, I, I wonder, do you, as a listener, do you like, is that just, I mean, I tra- often translate things into like adjectives like that for whatever reason. Do you do that or you just hear it as a coherent whole? whole? Uh, again, you know, like I'm, I'm so, I tear it apart like technically. So, right. so like you're saying, like I heard like a big, okay, we've changed the color, right, from this ornette section as being like, even like, you know, long notes, you know, yeah. very patient, mm-hmm. flowing, not really in time, but kind of there's a sense of like a, a ballad mm-hmm. thing happening. And then, and also kind of a sad, or very, yeah, yeah, sad uh, sort of feeling. And then when Don Cherry starts to play, he immediately gives a different tempo, right? So he's changed the color or the feel there. And which it has like a Delta Blues type vibe to me, like mm-hmm. you know, like or if I was listening, like like reminded me of like Taj Mahal uh, going fishing, or you know, like okay, like that kind of thing. But the tremolo and the bass, then you know, immediately like starts a, a tension building thing, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it, and it it, it it draws my attention to it. It's like okay, so we changed the motion from like this ballad. So like yeah, like that dance thing, you know. So I see that that color shift, and I'm drawn to like, oh man, see how that's working, you know. And this whole time, it's still like very open and free, no groove needed, so or no groove introduced in that way. I don't know. I'm always curious, man, how people put together colors. Yeah. Put together different things, like it's like daring, like you know, like you know, to go from this ballad thing to this little dance thing and. It seems to work, yeah. you know. Like, like, who said who said that was cool? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you know what I mean. Like that to me is the awesome thing about about art. Just like you're gonna do some stuff just because you like it. Yeah. You know, and you know, a lot of people like this. Yeah. And that's that's the thing that's uh, yeah. that's exciting about it. That's hopeful. It's like yeah. you know, for for all artists, like yeah, do some things that are genuine from your heart you know not showing off of your technique or of your compositional skill but just you know like I feel this because because everything is clear yeah. right that color change that you were talking about is clear mm-hmm. like you know like the instrumentation changes the color changes the tempo changes you know like inside of this very free thing so yeah that's exciting. Clear ideas, you know, just yeah. like we were saying about Charlie Parker. You know, he delivered his information in a clear and strong manner. Same thing yeah. here. Yeah. You know, everything is very, very clear. It doesn't yeah. seem like it's, you know, uh, um, like there's so much searching. You know, it seems right. like a very succinct composition. Yeah. Well, it's also them clearly listening to each other. Yeah. And then there's yeah. that beautiful little line. Yeah. <laughs> so good. 
Yeah. Patients, like, you know, if they've had an opportunity to work together a lot, they yeah. really understand, like, how people interpret a moment, you know, that's some, something special, you know, like, just yeah. to, to know that I know that if I do this, it might create this kind of situation. Or in the same way, just to respond, like, oh, okay, I can do this because this might, you know, you hear something else, like, okay, they're doing that, so if I do this, it'll set up this opportunity or whatever, you know. I just know that that, those are the rare things that we, we don't have so much today, like band sounds, because yeah. opportunity, right? Just like, because bands can't stick together because there's not enough work or something, or is something sure. means something more than that? No, I mean, like, you know, you get that rapport from playing over yeah. and over and over, you know, and bands had a lot of time, you know, you could travel, you could play, you know, your five sets a night, you mm -hmm. know, depending on what era, what style, you know, you were playing. I'm I'm curious about the this scene, you know, like, yeah. were guys having club dates or, you know what I mean, like, playing. When they were doing this? Yeah, yeah like, not, not at, like, no. a club where people were... You know, like buying drinks and buying meals, but I'm saying like, where where was this presented? You know, and yeah. were they playing five sets? Yeah, you know, like that's I'm curious, like the because that's how you hear like Miles Davis. Grab my book over here. <laughs> <laughs> This sounds like some, some Charles Rumbach. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's that album he put out last year. Okay. So this is Caroline and Jason Stein. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, Caroline Davis. Yeah. You know, because I, I think I recorded a lot of this music with Charles. Oh, yeah. Earlier, you know, because yeah. I've yeah. playing with Charles since like 2002. Yeah. But yeah. So you might have, you did this tune perhaps? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. Now, I knew you'd played with him, and I knew connections with various people in this, so I thought it'd be interesting yeah. to hear your take. Oh, that's good. I like this record. Yeah. What do you yeah. like about it? Well, uh, yeah, the instrumentation is great. You know, this is Jeff Parker and yeah. uh, Caroline, Jason Stein, and then who's... John Tate. John Tate, basically. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Charles has a way of writing... Yeah, just writes really beautiful, patient music. Mm. Uh, and then Caroline, I like Caroline. Is she sounds great? Yeah, yeah, especially lately. You know, I've heard yeah. her recently alive, and you know, since she's moved out uh, out to New York a few years ago, and yeah, just growing and growing. Man, yeah. it's, it's great to hear. Her. Yeah, her solo comes after Jeff's, and it's it's really nice. I'd like yeah. to check you to check it out, but. Yeah, when you say, um, so you say patient, I mean, this is more ballad, so yeah. it lends itself to the word patient, but is there something beyond that that you mean by patient? For his music, I don't know, it's never really like, the melodies are always very really like vocal-like, mm. you know, like they could easily have words to them, you know. It's not a lot of, not a lot of information in the sense of like melodic material, so more like a, like even if it's an up-tempo thing, like, you know, melodies are always very strong like slow moving um, pieces no matter what the the tempo is like so I mean that's strong to me that's 
very strong material. Like coming from a composer's perspective, like mm. it's hard to do. It's hard to do to make interesting things that are uh, I don't know, like this, like very very patient without a lot of without a lot of motion and to keep the keep it interesting. Mm. You know? So, yeah, yeah, I've noticed that, man, over the 13 years we've been playing together, you know, just, you know, I could, I could see him sitting down trying to figure this stuff out, just maybe singing little ideas. That's what it seems like he's vocalizing these things as he mm -hmm. composes them, yeah. And then his playing, you know, just the way he plays, it's never like, it's never too much. It's, no. It's always right. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's 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 definitely one of my uh, like one of my favorite drummers in Chicago for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I like the almost free flowing melodic ideas she's playing, and just rhythmically. That's something I'm very drawn to. Is like when improvisers have a way of uh, making making the lines that they play more, um, I guess, more asymmetrical mm. in a way that's, uh, I don't know, kind of pulls you through with them. It's not so, it's not just completely like bop, beep, bop, like a bunch of weird intervals, but it just kind of drags you through like almost counterpoint to what's happening mm. in uh, over like the the foundation, like the the form that they're playing over. So to me, it sticks. Yeah. You know? Nice. That's a beautiful solo. Yeah. Yeah. song is this? Uh, so that's actually the reason I picked it. It's uh, The title is uh, Duke Ellington's Sounds of Love. Okay. I thought I played it, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So the reason, I wanted to obviously play you a Mingus, but I didn't want it to be from Black Sand and Sinner Lady, because that seemed too obvious in some way, or too on the nose. Um, but I did pick this because, of course, your most recent big project is a, a full tribute to Mingus that's not just playing Mingus pieces or doing something directly, but doing something that's like inspired by, uh, and in a way that I'm, I'm curious how you'll describe. But um, this, meanwhile, the title of this tune is Duke Ellington Sounds of Love. So it's kind of like Duke Ellington, it's like presumably him writing in something like the style of Duke Ellington, in some way evoking Duke Ellington while not directly just covering uh, Ellington. So, um, I guess I wonder if you hear any kind of connection since you did a thing to Mingus that's sort of like what Mingus is doing to Ellington here. I mean, yeah, I mean, just like you even hear like little bits of of Ellington and Strayhorn like pieces, you know, like Lush Life, the, mm -hmm. you know, like in uh, like the last phrase of Lush Life is yeah. there. And I think it's... For Good. That was a good Johnny Harvey right there, man. That's good. <laughs> I think you're the first person who's ever said I do yeah, good Johnny Harvey. Yeah, yeah. My goal was to 
to to create something that that uh, because the piece is so monumental, you know, like and Mingus is so such a huge figure that I created something that pleased listeners and lovers of the Black Saint Center Lady, but also was was mine, you know. Mm-hmm. And so how, how do I do that? You know, so I'm paying attention to the, and trying to get like an average, you know, like if you, you know, you could just add up like, oh, these colors mm-hmm. are, are present throughout, or this melodic phrase is a strong theme, you know, or this instrumentation is used, you know, like these voicings are used in, in different harmonic things, you know. And I feel like you can hear that here. You can hear that Mingus is... I hear, like, the same idea here. Like, he's taking, like, an average of all these... or notice of all these things that make Ellington ballads beautiful, you know, and apply that to his smaller ensemble. You know, like, it's there. It's there, you know, like, you're like, oh, man, that's, that's Ellington. Like, mm-hmm. the sound... You know, ballad, lush orchestration at different times, sometimes very sparse, you know. But also then you have, you know, like different approaches to the improvisation which make it make it his thing, you know, like you hear different colors, different you know, like this is this is very modern for the time, you know. Yeah. And uh Yeah. And I think that's that's something that what I try to do is like, okay, how do I how do I make this bridge, you know, mm-hmm. like from using elements from this piece to create different pieces, but to take listeners with me from that that starting place, you know, because mm-hmm. you know, most likely folks would have heard this piece already. Yeah. So, you know, for me it was different rhythmic feels that I could update or a phrase that fit well in another context and could be expanded into an entire piece. You know? And orchestration-wise, you know, the, because there was so much on the that he used um, in that piece, like different, you know, like the contrabass trombone and and trumpets and marimba and, and guitar and things like. How do I create that inside like a a ten-piece ensemble? Mm-hmm. You know. And I think it came off well. So I can only imagine that he, you know, you, you can hear that from the melodic content, orchestration ideas. But I'm, I'm curious, like, to see, like, you know, what was his thought like? What were the things that he pulled out himself, you know, when he thought, like, I want to make this thing that really sounds like Duke or is a tribute to Duke Ellington? Yeah, yeah that's great, huh? Yeah. Oh, I wonder. What do you wonder? Is this Reed? Nope. No? Okay. I was wondering if it was that Craig Taborn um, thing that they did. Craig oh, yeah, it does sound like Craig Taborn, yeah. So what I can tell you, before, yeah, I can tell you before you start guessing that I didn't know anything about. It. I mean, I don't know any of these musicians aside from this recording. It's, yeah. um, it is the uh, the leader is named uh, Anna Hogberg. Oh. Uh, she's a um, Norwegian, um, and it's a, a, a full band of uh, people from the kind of like Mats Gustafsson world. Okay. Um, that's my 
full understanding of like their general context. Here's ah. here's what I was saying before. Okay. Um, this is something that I just got turned on to last month by Peter Margusek. He posted his like top ten albums of the last year, and this was something that really struck me as really great. So I picked up the album. Um, but it also, like we were saying before, it hits on this intersection of that very like you know avant out and even you know dissonant sort of playing with now this sort of lush harmony that's emerging and is going to become more prominent in a sec. So as someone, you, who um, both has been interested recently in, in writing lush orchestrations to some extent um, mm -hmm. on some parts of Touch My Beloved's Thought, for sure, and I don't know, maybe you're doing more of that, but then you also are sometimes in settings where you might play like that. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, what the piano player is doing, I'm talking about, you might do something that's in that, more in that idiom. I wonder how you hear the intersection of the two. Do you think it's like a bringing, a harmonizing of opposites, or is it wrong to think of these two things as being like in opposition? I mean, yeah. In this case, or in general. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm totally with you on like, it is opposite of what's happening, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, like as a composer, you know, like, to me it's important to create, to develop ideas and create motion, right? Like, in any kind of way, right? So you have this very phonetic kind of spacious thing happening in the beginning. And where's that going? Because it's already so active, right? Mm -hmm. so, so how do you make that seem like it's maybe not moving? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, maybe it's just like, this is our cell. How do you see the development here? And to me, it's a perfect idea to have this slow moving thing creep up, mm -hmm. right? That So this thing is, when you step back and look at, oh, there's more parts, you're saying, well, this is not moving really. This is like the static thing. And inside of that static world, there's a lot of activity. But this is what, you know, a great way to develop this idea, right? Mm -hmm. This slow, beautiful thing which is moving towards, like, even though it's very slow moving, it's lush, it's a whole different vibe. Mm -hmm. it I love that it's taken over, and this other thing is like completely gone away. Mm -hmm. We had like the intersection a minute mm -hmm. ago when they all played the melodic phrase together, yeah. moving into this solo. Yeah. I think it's, it's very smart composition, and I like, I like when I, when you, you know, like I'm, I'm a composer, so I hear this stuff, you know? Yeah. But I feel like, this would be communicated well to anybody, yeah. to the average listener, even to somebody yeah. maybe who's not into instrumental music. Sure. Know? You could feel like, whoa, you could see that clearly, you know. To me, things almost need to be visual, you know, yeah. like, so you could feel like something happening. Not uh, so that the trained ear has to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I saw what's going on, you know, right. static and then ooh, these chords came in, bam, you know, like, like, no, you know, you want to, you want to move regular people, you yeah. know, so, so, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm into this, you know, and now we're into this whole other world, you know, so yeah. it's, again, you know, like, a nice band that can bring together all these different sounds, you know, yeah, I'm curious to see how it ends, just because, yeah, we got, um, we got a minute and a half left, yeah, let's do it see the complete journey 
Yeah. That they wanted to take this on. Yeah. Is this mild? Nope. No, it has that feel. Totally. Yeah. It's also from, it's 1970, it's definitely that like 70. very first, first like instruction of fusion kind yeah. of vibe. Duck. Is that Freddy? Oh no. Man! It's dragging out. That's <laughs> okay. That's the leader. Oh, it's Cannonball! Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So, okay, so you don't know this tune, but you did recognize this Cannonball. How? Well, Cannonball, his, his sound. That's one of the things, like, sound throughout his entire development, always, always the same, you know? Okay. That's the, I mean, you know, no matter what happens, there's still this sound, you know? Okay, so how do you define the sound? What is, what is the sound? Mm, round, uh, yeah, aggressive, like, on the edge, like, like you hear like the buzz and the sound like, and then rhythmic articulation. No matter if he was swinging, playing funky stuff, bossa nova stuff, just like this, you know. Similar language to what he was using, you know, even though like. What he was using in. And, you know, in the hard bop era, you know, yeah. like he's playing like bebop, but you know, like even though his, his thing is not, it, yeah, it hasn't changed that much, but just the music around him. Mm -hmm. You know, like even like if you if you put on right now, if you put on Easy to Love, you'd hear that same language mm -hmm. right now. Him using like false tones, like uh, you hear that, you know, basically where you change your fingers mm -hmm. to play the same note using alternate fingering. Oh, that's a thing, so that you can play the same note. Same note, but it's between. like yeah, but you hear yeah, you hear the. A slight difference. Also, you can play like oh, cool. riffs, like you know, like stuff like that. Oh, cool. like, but you'd hear that if you put on "Easy to Love." You know, that makes like, sense. That's something unique to a saxophone, maybe yeah, not, yeah. or at least to a reed instruments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't because like a piano player could never do a trill of the same note unless they have two pianos. They would just have to play the same note at the same, you know. Yo, you can do it like yeah. you know. Yeah. They can do that stuff, but it's different on saxophones. It'd be yeah. like like a string instrument playing a note on a different string, you yeah. know, or yeah. yeah, slight difference. They came up in that culture of playing a lot, you know, like mm -hmm. they did they did fifty weeks on tour every year. Well, in two Cadillacs, that's the right. story. Like, Which, this band? This, not this band, but, but, the, but the earlier, the band with Joe Zawinul. And, yeah, early 60s. Yeah. yeah. 50 weeks. Wow, that's crazy. I mean, they, they took off two weeks for New Year's and Christmas. That's crazy. You know, that that is crazy. That's you crazy. You know, but that's why they have this. They sound course. like this, you know, yeah. like, you can't, I can't say, I can't speak to, like, when he got to these projects, you know, like, but... But I imagine, like, he was able to keep it up because he had developed a name for himself, you know. Mm -hmm. That's something, man. I wish, I wish I could have that experience for a little bit just to see what that's like, you know, like, 
being on tour for 50 weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just like... I, I don't think Diana would like that that much. <laughs> sure, sure. I know that. Yeah, but it just my... Or I don't think the people of Chicago would like that that much. I wouldn't want you to be gone for that long. <laughs> Put it that way. Put it that way. Yeah, but just like that experience. When you come back off of that tour, you've gone through some things. Like, I've gone, I go on like a month-long tour. Yeah. Uh, seven weeks has been the longest tour I've done, you know. And now you go through some things. That was you know? with, with, with what group? Uh, it was a uh, multiple thing. Okay. You know? Yeah, like, like just different tours that happened to like yeah, yeah. Got it. Got go it. back to back. Okay. You know, but you go through like trying to play well, you know, on your one hour set per night, trying to practice, trying to stay, you know, emotionally uh, in the game, you know, and you know, musically in the game, and like so you can get to some different stuff every night. And just the the skill of doing that is something that you have to you have to keep sharp, you know. So I imagine just like tour chops yeah. and hitting chops, you know, like getting on the stage and creating something special every night. Yeah, that's something that if you're doing it all the time, you're very good at it. Yeah, yeah. If you finish a tour after three weeks with the band, you're tight. Yeah, you know? and like the access to moments is happening faster, you know, so that is something that's very, uh, very exciting to me, you know, in the right situation, I could, I wouldn't mind doing it for a long time, mm -hmm. you know. Oh, I haven't heard this yet. Really? Yeah, yeah. You haven't heard it at all. No, no. But you still know what it is. It's Steve, right? Yeah. Yeah, that is new record, right? Yeah, Steve Lehman. Yeah, yeah, I'm just yeah. going to, you know, say the name for the listener. With Damien on the drums. Yeah. <laughs> me and Damien talk a lot about how this record is put together, you know, just yeah. like in the studio. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, you know, playing to a click. Yeah. You know, and he's great at that, you know, yeah. making, the, making it feel alive, you know, he's playing to a metronome. You know? Yeah. Man, Steve. Yeah. What about Steve? Steve's playing like really investigative rhythm, you know, yeah. and you can tell he's he's flexible with his with all kinds of in all kinds of different ways, you know, like rhythmically, he can go anywhere, all these different levels of rhythm, you know, like stuff like that, you know, different triplets over top of things, different larger triplet groupings, and also harmonic things like you know he's explored quarter tone things that you hear like there that's a part of his language like wait what is specifically well. that he just did i can even let me go back let me go back to it. yeah go back when you hear him play like notes that seem like they're the same note in a row but they, you hear that yeah he's doing different quarter tone fingerings on the saxophone okay. that, and he's really explored that yeah in depth and has access to it, you know, you get all that stuff. You know, so very good at it. Oh man, it's tight. Yeah, so tight, man. So tight. Yeah, do you know? Do they do that? Have they done this live or anything, or is it just a pure studio project? Um, I don't. I don't think they've done it live yet. Yeah, but maybe they're going to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, it's great. Yeah. 
great a great balance of a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. Like I mean, this hip hop is a, stuff. Yeah. You know, modern composition, modern compositional ideas, like improvisational ideas, using like the quarter tone things, like from Steve's, like even some of the harmonic stuff. You know, he's very big into spectral music, and you right. can hear that here. It's, it's beautiful, man. Yeah. This is the kind of thing that makes you makes me wonder like why aren't people combining avant jazz tactics and new composition things with hip-hop more often although it'd be very easy for me to imagine hearing something that was like why would anyone want to try to do that <laughs> you know this is this is it working you know? it has why, to be done well why right? do you think it works here i mean he, steve understands you know like both worlds i know that and he's a real student of, of a lot of music you know and it's just, it's done well, you know, like, the stuff is blended well, like, it doesn't seem out of place, it doesn't seem like, oh, we're gonna, for this jazz band, and we're gonna, we're gonna just play this beat, and you're gonna rap over it, yeah. like, no, it's, it's, like, very smoothly done, like, you have electronic ideas, acoustic ideas, but also the way it's mixed, it feels like a hip-hop record, you yeah. know, which is important, you know. So it doesn't sound out of place. It seems like, yeah, you could put this on, you know, Power 92 or whatever, you know, and it would be all right, you know. So should test that theory. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what you might get a few calls. <laughs> are you uh, are you interested in employing popular music genres and combining them with your jazz interests? I think I already I already do, you know, with a lot of my I have a a lot of my other bands, like I have this quintet now. Uh, Dave Miller, Matt Gold, mm -hmm. Matt Eulery, Clint Kirchner. We have a lot of, man, a lot of stuff. I feel like I combine. I've been doing that a lot. You know, I grew up playing gospel music. Mm -hmm. You know, in the church. You know, African American church. And uh, my father's an organist, and that's that's my roots. So that stuff is there. And then I'm big into rock and roll. You know, or rock type sounding things. So mm -hmm. a lot of that's in my music. And then the free thing and then I'm also a huge student of classical music so you know like so those things are there you know so I the music that I write you know for my bands is I feel like very it combines that I feel like it combines it well because people people like it so yeah. you know if they did all oh, they'd be like oh this sounds kind of one way but I'm at least what I'm going for is to make something that is balanced you know and then also becomes like its own voice you know, with with all those things, right? Like that are me. I have no idea what this is. Eightfold Souls. Oh. You know, I've never heard the records. I've only heard them live. Yeah. A few times. Yeah. Okay. Back. Back when the old hot house was around. Yeah. Yeah. So this album's from '94, which I I picked this to end on because. Uh, I know this is a little before you started playing in Chicago, I guess. When oh, yeah. did you start coming down to Chicago? Like, late 90s? I mean, it would be like, 97 would be the okay. earliest I was Okay, playing. so just, I imagine some of these people and potential, and this band were something that you were, when you are first encountering jazz in Chicago, and like, really, you know, new creative music in Chicago, this is a, a band and players you were probably encountering, right? Well, my, you know, my exposure was like, more straight down the pocket until like 2001. Like, okay, okay. So, you know, I knew like 
I would go to Vaughn Freeman's. In 97, I was going down to the new apartment lounge, you know, and hanging out there. And I met Cameron Fifner. Uh, via Maurice Brown would always pick me up. We were great friends. We are great friends. And he'd pick me up and take me around to all the different jam sessions, like at uh, City Life, new apartment lounge, and go to people's houses and play. But it was all more modern jazz, more straight ahead jazz at that point. I didn't meet any of these folks, like Ed Wilkerson or, or Fred Anderson, until I went to the Velvet Lounge. My yeah. friend Josh Ramos was playing bass in the house band of the Sunday Night Jam around 2001. And after we would play our church gig on Sundays, we'd eat at his parents' house and then go, he'd be like, I got this gig, this steady gig at the Velvet Lounge. So I'd go down, see what's going on before we're going back to college in DeKalb, mm -hmm. Illinois. And that's where I met Fred Anderson. And then Fred immediately like, kind of took me under his wing. He would, he would like, oh, because he could tell that I love Charlie Parker. He's like, hey, you like birds, don't you? And I was like, yeah, yeah. So that was a, uh, you know, an introduction to all these folks that started hanging at the Velvet more. Met Ed Wilkerson, met Tatsu Aoki, and, and at the time, William Perry, who gave me some opportunities. I don't know if you remember William Perry. William Perry was a tenor player, but he used to run a concert series up at this place that was called No Exit. Okay. And, you know, he allowed me. Isn't like, that near here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like near the, the like, down the street from the Heartland Cafe. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's like a couple blocks away. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, he gave me my first gig, like one of my first gigs as a leader. Chicago was so excited, you know, I could have my own band there. And, yeah. You know, you know, just like those things, it's like a young kid, like, getting a, a chance to perform your music with, with people is, you know, special, you know. So, yeah, and then... Ed has always been such a nice and warm guy and amazing player, you know, amazing improviser, amazing composer, yeah, right. you know. But we, we still get to work together in some, some strange situations today. Not strange, but just different. Like, we play with this kind of folk singer, Caleb Bullets, and, okay. and his band, which is Tatsuya Oki and, and uh, Fred Longberg Home. And, you know, it's a great band, like, just great tunes, but also, like, we all just improvised throughout the tunes, and it's made this very unique sound, you know. So, but man, yeah, is that is that Ed. that's Ed right there? Because yeah. it's Ed and Wanta Bowden, yeah. both. I don't know. They both play lots of woodwinds. I don't know who's playing what. Oh, yeah. You can that's tell Ed. That's, that's Ed. Ed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What what makes you know it's Ed? Oh, uh, man, he's he's kind of like how do you describe his playing? I don't know, man, just like, he has everything, you know, he has a lot of, but from his viewpoint, he has the blues in his sound, he has some bop language, and some more modern sounds, and maybe you could say, oh, it's kind of Wayne Shorter-like, he has more like, this stuff is, you know, kind of like, you know, like the later, later train type period thing, but it's all him, you know, it's very put together in a, in a way that when I hear it, I'm like, man, that's, that's, you know, I know who that is, you know, right away. And, uh, yeah, and the ability to play very aggressively and sweetly, you know, whenever he wants to. I, I really enjoy and respect 
respect him as a, a musician, you know. Yeah. yeah is this Deshaun mostly on, mostly on drums? I just Deshaun yeah. mostly, yeah. 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 Yeah, I think like in 2000, 2004 when I was hanging out at the, the hot house, I got to hear them a few times. Yeah, and how was what was uh, it like encountering that? What I think of as very like Chicago, you know, AACM related approach to like genre and composition and like improvisation. What was it like encountering that? That that was very special because I was I was composing quite a bit, but what I was composing was for more traditional ensembles like you know a couple horns and a rhythm section, you know, or one horn and a rhythm section. So. My idea of composition and my skill as a composer was, you know, was rather limited at the time. You know, like I was composing a, you know, like a, a chart for a band and, you know, we play it down and you would improvise. Like an Ed was composing these things that were more, you know, through composed at times and pieces and the instrumentation is different. You know, you had cello and, and tuba and, you know, and himself and, you know, drums and all, you know, just all these different things that I wanted to do, you know, so, you know, hearing his band and, and other bands like that, they kind of really changed me, like opened my eyes to what would be possible as a composer. Um, one moment that I really kind of, kind of changed me, uh, just going to hear uh, Ken Vandermark when he had this band with Tim Daisy and Jason Stein and, uh, and Nate McBride. And hearing that quartet, man, just it blew me away, man. Blew yeah. me away, like just because. Then this had to be two thousand five, maybe okay. okay. two thousand four, two thousand five, and it was at the Empty Bottle, and just I had never heard composition like this. Mm. You know, I, it really, like, kind of I was like, wow, look at, I heard all these different kind of ways of presenting music and presenting ideas, like as songs, you know, or or vehicles for improvisation. It was just, it really kind of, kind of blew me away at the time. I remember just being, wow, okay, that, that's what it can be. All right, I have to grow. This is one of those rare places where you can work. You know, yeah. like here, maybe Nashville. Oh, well, that's, yeah. Maybe LA, you know. Yeah. These are the places where you can work as a musician. And that, yeah. like, yeah, man, I'm playing, you know, like, kind of like being like a plumber <laughs> in, mm -hmm. in, in, a, in a sense. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to this job. You know, yeah. this is going to be great. And then this one, I'm going to be playing African music. And over mm -hmm. here, I'm playing a really experimental thing. And then I'm going to be bopping over at this place. Yeah. You know? And that, man, I, I think that's a little bit of that is important. Or a lot of it at a time, you mm -hmm. know? Like, yeah, we do that. And then I can do this. I can do that, you know? But as an artist, then you, you run into some things. Like, you know, I played the Winter Jazz Fest on, on Friday night, you know? Last Friday. This yes, uh, two days ago. Yeah. Oh yeah, in New York. Yeah, in New York. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Which then, group was that with? With uh, Mike Reed, oh. uh, Flesh and Bone. Okay, I didn't know that happened there. Cool. Yeah, and then they have. They, I saw some about. It. It's a great lineup. Oh yeah, man. They always. It's always like everybody. <laughs> yeah. It's too much. Too yeah, much. yeah. And so I played there, and then last night I'm playing, with Soul Message with Greg Rockingham, mm -hmm. Chris Foreman, Lee Rothenberg over at. Winners Jazz Club, you know, yeah. I'm playing like straight down the park. Bar walking, you know? kind of. Yeah, and I'm just like, and it to me it's like, 
you know, when you get into this space, like, I'm, like, super free over here, and then, like, kind of mm -hmm. super in over here, you know, like, it can mess with you, like, with your sure. approach, you know, like, Do being able to, like, jump back into the vibe. Yeah. Do you ever accidentally, like, you're at the, the straight ahead gig and, like, accidentally pull out something you weren't supposed to? I don't, I don't, you or know, like. intentionally, but then have somebody look down on it. I don't think anybody's ever done that because I feel like I'm good at blending yeah. that stuff. But, but yeah, I know what you're saying. Like, like just do something like kind of pushing, like ah, it would be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> or the opposite, you know, like on yeah. Mike's thing, there's like a song he wrote that's like very like it calls for like a Johnny Hodges type thing, mm -hmm. you know? and I do that. I do it. The right vibe is the right vibe, you know, for a moment. So. <laughs> record where he's on the cover looking like Dracula. <laughs> no. Like dressed in like old like sixteen hundred black tuxedo yeah. with a big giant beard. Amazing. And a top hat that's like this tall man. It's like why are you looking like black yeah, Dracula? Here's, here's wait, here's the here's the stage shot. <laughs> <laughs> Cannonball, come on man. <laughs> you can do it. Yeah, you can pull it San Francisco picnic gear. Wow. 